Welcome to the Dear Katie podcast. This is Katie Kessner, and I am the woman who was on the cover of Time Magazine at age 18 as the first ever to speak out nationally and publicly about being the victim of date rape. And I've taken my story across the country, coast to coast, and around the globe sharing it. And now I am welcoming others to this podium to share their own stories. And I'm so fortunate to have with me Clara Kaplan. Dr. Kaplan, could you share a little bit about yourself? I am a activist in the anti-violence movement, and I've been doing this work for close to 40 years, and it's my pleasure to join Katie as co-host. Thank you so much, Claire. And greetings and welcome to all of you listening and joining us tonight. Before we start, we want to remind you that the content of this podcast can be emotionally difficult for anyone and potentially triggering for survivors of any form of trauma. So please do not hesitate to reach out for support if you need to, whether you reach out to your friends, your family, or anonymous hotlines, websites. You can find lots of resources on the Take Back the Night Foundation website and access them at any time. Claire, would you like to add anything about um, how to self-care for our listeners? Certainly. Because it's a podcast, you can always pause it or turn it off for a moment to take a breather if you're having um, some difficulty listening but want to continue. Also, um, we will give you the address for the Take Back the Night Foundation website at the end of this broadcast. Thanks so much, Claire. And tonight, our, we'll start with our historic narrative reading. Um, one of the letters that came to me from a survivor sharing their own um, experience. Dear Katie, March 18th, 1996. Over Christmas break, I wrote the following poem entitled, Katie. I must warn you that it is quite graphic, but I would think that it brings my point across clearly. Katie. I recall a distinct refusal. I remember saying no. I tried to combat his efforts, but I wasn't in control. He restricted any movement as he hoisted up my gown. I was completely overpowered by the force that held me down. My protest did not matter. He cared not for my consent. He thought nothing of my resistance when my body bucked and bent. How many times did I have to say no to make him see my way? It wasn't what I wanted. I wasn't his to take. He pried apart my struggling legs and I felt him push inside. I could not fight him off of me. So I lay there and cried. I bit down hard on my lower lip and punctured pallid skin. I tasted blood and felt the pain each time that he plunged in. My arms were caught beneath me. My fists became flesh-ripping claws. My nails dug into the palms of my hands like bestial ravenous jaws. Yet both of the injuries that I caused were nothing like being defiled. Compared to the overwhelming assault, my wounds were disparately mild. As he was moving above me, he proceeded to grunt and groan. And then like a clap of thunder, he let out a triumphant moan. He came like a storm inside me. With each thrust, my system crashed. I could feel it leeching through me as his body contorted and thrashed. But I'm glad I kept my eyes shut or I would have gone insane. Recalling the expression on his face embedded in my brain. When he finally withdrew himself, there was nothing he could say 
to make my torment easier or make it go away. For ages after he walked out, all I did was weep. I dissolved myself in mournful tears and I cried myself to sleep. Crying was an endless cycle and every single night nightmares caused my lack of sleep and my loss of appetite. Throughout the violation and after the assault, I was left in such confusion that I thought it was my fault. I submitted to domination. I surrendered my domain. Because I wasn't strong enough, I brought myself this pain. It's taken me an eternity to rid myself of shame, to eliminate depression, to shed myself of blame. For a while, it took me over. It consumed my every thought. But now I've learned to live my life with the suffering that he brought. Why this vicious intrusion? Did he have no self-restraint? How could he have taken me, disregarding my complaint? Though I'm the master of my body, he was a tyrant who took command. He oppressed a helpless victim by stealing the upper hand. It's impossible to trust someone who disregards my voice, who neglects my prohibition, who gives me little choice. And when I'm able to trust again, I'll let go of my fears, of reliving the unbearable pain that built up all these years. Someday, there will be someone who understands my dread, who's patient and devoted, and waits for me instead. So now we are pleased to welcome another incredible survivor. Uh, Blanca is here and sent in her personal story to us, to me, and now is ready to share it with the world and her healing journey. So Blanca, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your own story of survivorship with our listeners. Um, You will indeed help us to shatter the silence and end the violence. That's right. And a special welcome to all of those of you who are listening. We're grateful for your presence and for bearing witness to the testimony you will hear. And thank you again to Blanca for sharing your vulnerability and strength with us and in, with the world. Absolutely. So Blanca, could you start out just telling us all a little bit about your own background, where you're from, um, just a little snippet about you? Hi, my name is Blanca. I'm 23 years old, and I live in Northern California. Excellent. Um, and let's, you know, start at the beginning. Where did this experience happen? Can you give our listeners just a, you know, a taste of what it was that you went through? Yeah, so um, this happened a couple years ago. I went to go visit a friend down in San Diego. She was going to be hosting a surprise party for her boyfriend and I thought it would be a good time for me to go visit her and meet some of her friends so I went down and um, we were all preparing for her surprise party I was really excited I remember because I don't really go to parties I don't really that's not my thing so it was gonna um, be something fun for me to do, especially since I remember during that time I was going through a rough patch in my life. I had um, just kind of ended things with a with um, a guy, and so I was kind of like in a vulnerable state. And 
I thought this would like get my mind off of things. And so that day we were all planning everything out, setting the party up because it was going to be at her house and everyone ended up showing up. And then the, the birthday boy arrives and we all started having a lot of fun. We were all drinking. We were playing beer pong, a bunch of like games like that. And I remember I was drinking a lot. I think I played like probably four, five rounds of beer pong. And I mean, I was just going with it because I was, I remember I was winning and um, I was actually partners with, with this one girl. She, I had known her before and um, back in my college days and her and I were just like going at it. We were having a lot of fun. And by then I had probably had a lot to drink. And as the night was going, um, I remember seeing this one guy there. He happened to be the birthday boy's best friend. And I told my, told my, um, told my best friend at the time that I thought he was cute. So she introduced us and we, we kind of like hit it off and I, I really don't remember much after that, if I'm being honest. It kind of was like a blackout moment, you could say. Um, I just know that the next day I woke up and I was in bed with this guy that I had met the night before. And I was told that we had slept together. And uh, that was news to me. I had blacked out and... Apparently, who told you, Blanca, that this had happened? Who told you about the sex or sexual assault, essentially, rape? Yeah, um, I was told by everyone. You know, that's the thing. This was a very public event. I mean, everyone knew what was going on. But the thing is, like, I didn't because I was to the point of blackout. I had so much to drink that night that you know, the next day I didn't remember anything. And I was being told by multiple people that this is what had happened. And, you know, it was news to me. What was your reaction when you got that news? You know, I, I couldn't believe it. I think it was like, I was in shock, but it was like almost that, that I kind of just pushed it away so quickly because everyone knew that it happened except me. And I just almost wanted to act like, It didn't happen. You get me? Like it wasn't involuntary. Was it a way of sort of pushing it aside or sort of saying, I just, there's kind of the publicness of it. And then you're sort of almost humiliation, it sounds like. Am am I wrong in interpreting it that way? No, that's most definitely how it was. I mean, multiple people at the party knew what had happened. And it's like, wow, you know, you're put right in the spotlight and you're almost like, what do I do? You can't just say, you know, you almost don't want to like, how do I put it? Cry wolf and be like, that's not what happened. And then everyone's Mm -hmm. like reaction would be different. So I really just kind of had to go with it because I was, I was, I was embarrassed, you know? Mm -hmm. But I, I guess Blanca, I'm curious, did the embarrassment I'm sensing and, you know, would you describe your response to hide your embarrassment as I joked it off or I just 
didn't respond. You know, some people will try and make a joke out of it or cover it up with, you know, an excuse like, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. Or did you just kind of numb out and not verbally respond? I remember that day after it had happened, um, everyone went to go play Sunday soccer. And so we were with all the people that had been there the night before. And everyone was joking about it, you know. And I kind of had to play it off and and joke back. You, um, it, it was super casual, you could say. I definitely, like, was on the quieter side of the, the conversation, but I didn't want to make it awkward for anyone either. So I really just played along with it. And did it ever cross your mind that your friends had just really abandoned you and, and let you down, that they knew it was happening and didn't intervene at all? You know, yes, just because just cause I wasn't in the best state and the fact that people that I knew saw that but didn't think much of it was was disappointing mm-hmm. because I was not conscious. I was not like there. And yet um, people didn't see that. I mean, I remember one of, one thing that I was told by my friends was that I was so drunk to the point that I went to the bathroom and that I fell and everyone heard the knock, like me knock down. And I don't know how that wasn't a cue for anyone to realize that I wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. And yet things happened that night that weren't supposed to happen in that state, especially. What do you attribute the lack of intervention by your friends to? Were they drunk too? Were they just, they didn't think it was a big deal? Do you think they didn't? I'm curious how you classify their response now. Um, Well, you know, I think it goes both ways. You know, some part of me, is disappointed in them for not knowing but like at the same time I don't think they could have known that I wasn't there I I've come to realize that when I had moments like that when I would black out drinking a lot I still acted normal according to everyone so it's not like they could have known but at the end of the day I just you know someone drunk is someone drunk and I think it would have been nice if someone was there looking out for me, but I know that doesn't always happen. Right. And it's also true that a person could be in an alcohol blackout and be apparently, you know, seem to be acting normally. Um, and so it's that once someone does something that there's an alarm, like falling down in the bathroom, one would assume that one would hope that someone would say, uh, there's something else going on here, you know, that we need to check out. So, yeah, I can hear your disappointment in that. I'm wondering um, what, you know, the guy was there. What, how, how was your interaction with him? Uh, See, the last thing I remember was a friend and I were making these Mexican cocktail drinks called micheladas. They're these like spicy candy, like beer drinks and I remember we were making one for him and that's where we kind of started talking and I honestly don't remember anything after that moment. I I don't remember interacting with him the rest of the night. I I I sincerely like 
blacked out. Did he ever approach you afterwards and regret or talk to you about what happened? See, this is where it kind of gets complicated. Um, After that situation, I feel like I didn't want to accept it for what it was. And if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm not that type of girl, the one that is at a party and hooks up with someone on the first night, like nowhere near that. And so when it happened, I almost, it's going to sound bad, but I felt like I was obligated to, you know, at least give this guy a try or like get to know him. And so I did, I guess, essentially date this person months after before even realizing or accepting what had happened to me. Blanca, that's not uncommon at all. Actually, a lot of survivors go out with their perpetrators, their abusers again. So many of us think that somehow we can make it all okay just by ignoring it or, you know, making it into a fairy tale or, you know, happily ever after. We all want to get rid of the pain somehow. And I think what you did was very common and normal and and natural, as painful as it is. But then I I know we want to talk now a little more about really the healing process and and even that kind of time period while you're going out with the guy um did was it a you know demise of your relationship over that period of time of going out with him or how did that did he treat you poorly did he did you you know start to realize he wasn't who he said or you know i guess i'm curious about some some survivors i feel like they go out with their abuser and it takes another trigger point another kind of breaking point to come to that snap realization that this is just i'm not going to get through this this way i need to sever all the ties it was good you could say i guess it was butterflies and rainbows for a couple months and um you know he ended up showing his true colors it became very toxic very quickly I don't know things ended on a really bad term with some other circumstances that had happened tell me more about toxic what does that mean to you he lied to me about a lot of things he was seeing someone else at the same time that he was seeing me so when you broke up with him when did you kind of come to the realization of what happened initially? And did you start talking about it with people you knew? It's unfortunate the way it happened for me to realize what had happened to me the first time, because it happened to me a second time. I, you know, went out with a friend and we were getting sushi and I started drinking and then I came home and continued to, you know, drink. And I called up a friend and asked if he wanted to hang out. You know, I was feeling bad that day, I remember. And he came over and I was not in a good state, you know, mentally and, you know, with alcohol. I was taken advantage of. And after this happened to me the second time, you know, my body reacted again. I had um, gone through a panic attack like months prior, my first one. And when it happened to me the second time, I had an I had a panic attack and my body, you know, just like froze up. It like 
reacted to what had happened to me, even though I wasn't, you know, mentally there. And had you had other panic attacks, not connected specifically to these, you know, two incidents? No. um, The first panic attack that I had had was like a couple months after my rape. And it was with this guy. He actually was giving me a massage. And my body reacted like I, I froze and I felt like I couldn't breathe and like I was going to die. And I think that happened for like an hour. It lasted at least. And that was the first time I had a panic attack. I was going to ask, did you recognize it for what it was? Did you recognize that it was a panic attack or did you wonder what the heck is going on with me? Since it was my first panic attack, I didn't know what it was. And after it happened, like, I had to search up, you know, what had happened to me, you know, what happens when your body freezes up and you feel like you can't breathe, like you're dying. And I feel like a panic attack was like the best description for that situation. And how are you doing with them now? The the last year, the following year after this had happened to me, I did have three panic attacks, like one each two months, and they were really bad. They progressively got worse. Um, but I started, you know, to work on myself and get better. And luckily, I haven't had one like that in a while. Let's talk about that a little bit. You say you started to work on yourself. What does that mean? I stopped drinking for one. I started going to therapy. I was starting a new chapter in my life. I was going to start my hygiene program. So there was just a lot of things that were happening that were helping me, I guess. What's a hygiene program? It's dental hygiene. Oh, dental hygiene. So you you were back in school for that. Yeah. That's a challenging program, actually. People don't realize how challenging it is. So you were you were in school to become a dental hygienist. You were in therapy. You were, um, be, you know, going through the process of sobriety. That's a lot. Yeah, it is. And the funny thing is, I'm actually taking a year off from school now. I midway through my program, um, like you said, being in school and especially this program, it's it's difficult. And I feel like all the things that were hap- that had happened to me and then I was just kind of jumping the gun and starting school and I felt like I hadn't dealt with a lot of things and I have a lot of traumas that I still need to work on and school just was a lot for me, got a lot of anxiety and I have, feel like I had to take a step back and that's why I'm taking year off right now kind of to focus on myself and my mental health. Well, that's a that's a great um, uh, piece of things that you recognized. You know, when a person is overwhelmed, you know, they have to figure out what can I remove from my plate so that I can manage what is on my plate. And you've figured out figured that out, and that's that's excellent. I mean, the fact that you were able to do that and continue on with you know working on your healing process. What is what did that healing process look like for you? What does it look like in terms of therapy? What are what's what are some things that have worked for you? Well, while I was in school, I definitely put my mental health and my problems and everything on the back burner so I could put my full attention on school. I think something 
that I want to do is get back into therapy so I can process some of these things and work through them and, you know, heal and move on. I'm also, I'm trying to look into EMDR therapy. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was recommended to me and I'm in the process of looking for a therapist for that. Yeah. It works very well with survivors of trauma. Um, They have to be at a certain place to be able to do it, but it's definitely helpful. And Blanca, you know, I like to talk, if you're comfortable, a little bit more about the panic attacks because, you know, all of us have ways of manifesting this hurt and and how it gets under our skin and through our whole being. And a panic attack is something that a lot of people, I think, don't really understand what it is or what triggers it or how you get out of it or um, how long they last. If you're comfortable, would you mind talking a little bit about that part? These panic attacks for me lasted like an hour, unfortunately. And it's kind of like where your body just tenses up and all of a sudden just freezes. Um, The times it has happened to me, I'm laying down and all of a sudden I can't move. I feel like I can't breathe. Like, I think the hardest thing in those moments is like, you're trying to find your breath and you start to like, lose air. And I remember the last panic attack that I had. It was the worst. I literally started turning blue, I think. Um, My sister and my family were there and they were trying to help me get through it. I think what's, it's, it's been good. I feel blessed that when these panic attacks have happened to me, I was never alone. I don't think I could have made them through without someone there. And you're, when you're not alone, what does the person with you do that helps? I think distracting you from it is something helpful. Um, I've had friends and uh, family members there with me and they're, they're talking with me. They're trying to, you know, have me be present, try to find my breath. Cause you know, and you're in a state of panic, you, what you want you to remember is that you're not in a state of panic necessarily. So it's good to be reminded that, especially in those moments. And do you connect it to your assaults or do you feel like it's um, related to other things as well? I definitely think one of the biggest reasons I had those panic attacks was because of my assaults. You know, I've read the, I don't know if you've heard of the book, The Body Keeps Count. Body Keeps the Score. Yeah. Uh, the Body Keeps the Score. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what it's called. Um, I'm like halfway through the book and a lot of that talks about how your body responds and your mind responds, your nervous system. And I feel like sometimes there are things that you don't necessarily process that your body definitely knows. So I think my body definitely knew what had happened to me. And I think it was definitely reacting to it. It's amazing, isn't it? How, you know, you weren't necessarily conscious when these things were happening and yet your body remembers everything. And how, so maybe we could move now to where you are, you know, you're taking a break you're healing, um, doing all these great things. What are some of the things you think um, you're going to try next or where, what, what's, you know, what's going to happen next in Blanca's world? Yeah. Um, so this year I'm, I'm really taking for myself to get better. Mental health is definitely my priority. You know, I'm planning on going to therapy. I've been going to the gym and weightlifting a lot. Um, 
recently my plan is kind of to educate myself more by reading you know self-help books there's a lot of ways I want to get better and I want to heal and grow as an individual from this situation and from other things that have happened to me. That sounds like an excellent plan. And you're going to find a therapist, an EMDR specialist. What other things? You're doing weightlifting. Anything else that you do for fun to take care? Yeah, I love walking the dog with my um, my mom and my sister. I really enjoy reading. I love being outdoors. I love hanging out with friends, going out to eat. My best friend and I have always loved Thai food. And years and years ago, we went out to get Thai food. And she was telling me about this dessert that they have there, mango and sticky rice. And we got it. And since then, I have just fallen in love with mango and sticky rice. So like every time we go out, her and I, we always get mango and sticky rice. It's just like a thing. It sounds like a great treat and a reward. And I, I think another part of the healing process is finding those, those delights and those joys um, that, that can make life feel beautiful and whole and, and, and wonderful. Are there any particular lessons you would like our, our listeners to take away from um, your time with us today? I just like wanted to come on here and say to anyone that's listening that it's okay to talk about it. You know, I know it can be extremely hard, but I think in order to heal, you need to process it, you know, one way or the other. I don't think you can necessarily run away from it. And if you do, it eventually catches up to you, whether you want to or not. Blanca, who do you think has been the most helpful person with whom you've spoken? And what was it that they said or did that has been especially great? I've had a couple of friends that I've talked to. Luckily, the people that I know that I told haven't been through a situation like this. And while they don't understand, you know, they're very supportive. I guess, you know, you could say that they said the right things. They, as simple as it is, you know, it's nice to hear that it isn't your fault, you know. I was going to say, Blanco, a lot of what you said about being, um, you know, so intoxicated so drunk that you were blacked out. I, I can remember so many times speaking to students and at colleges and adults alike, they'll say, but if she gets herself drunk, what was she thinking? Or they'll say, you know, it, I don't go around just making it easy for someone to take my wallet or leave my door unlocked. Um, but how would you respond to those critics who say, well, Blanca, my gosh, you just put yourself in harm's way. I've been back and forth with that. I, I get it. You know, I wasn't in the right state because I was drinking that night. I, you know, I do hold some responsibility, but the thing is I was in a vulnerable state. And just because I was in that state, no one else has the right to take advantage of that. I, I love I love that you said that, Blanca. I think everyone needs to hear that. It's, you know, you don't have the right to take something just because it's easy to steal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's so interesting, you know, years, um, the years I had working on a college campus and, um, and so many women in particular 
um, they knew, for example, fraternity houses, which are, you know, notorious, um, that they, they knew which ones were safe, that they knew if there was a, a place that was safe, if they got drunk and they kind of crashed on a couch or something, the safe places were the ones where one of the brothers would come and put a blanket over you and make sure you weren't, didn't have alcohol poisoning, right? And the, and the ones that are not safe are the kinds where, you know, exactly what happened to you. And, and word was always out which, you know, which houses were safe. And, but it's too bad they have to think that way because that should just be normal behavior. If someone is falling down drunk or very, very intoxicated, you need to take care of their health. And I, I guess another topic I thought we should address too, Blanca, is um, anger. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about self-blame and I think you've talked about the, you know, coming to terms with the choices that you made and, and stopping the blame. But what about being angry at the perpetrators? Did you ever feel anger at them? I felt a lot of anger towards the second person. Like it was very sudden. Just because I had known this guy for like a couple years prior, like we were friends. And I felt like he really let me down. But I think, you know, the anger that I couldn't feel for the first situation definitely was portrayed with him. It's just disappointing too, when you know someone and you trust them, you know, and they, they let you down. Was there also, I mean, that seems like the the biggest piece of it that someone you trusted because you had a, a connection to each other in a friendship, but do you think there was a little bit of a cumulative effect as well? this was not the first one and in it if it had been the first one would it do you think it would have felt as powerful to you or yeah I think it was a build-up you know I didn't realize that I was sexually assaulted the first time necessarily until it happened to me the second time and I feel like when that happened I kind of exploded and that's why all my anger was lashed out onto him because you know I had it happened to me twice and it's like Wow. And then that's when you kind of like have everything, you know, pile up all at once. Do you, um, you know, as we wrap up our discussion with you, Blanca, do you have um, a sense of how you want to lead your relationships and partnerships and romantic situations going forward? Do you have a, a vision? Sometimes people will tell me, okay, now I have a checklist. I, I don't go out with anyone. I'm not alone with someone until, you know, what's that look like for you? I am definitely more self-aware. You could say I have trust issues most definitely. And going forward, I think, you know, I just, I want to be more aware of the people that I have in my life, whether it's romantically or not. I only have one more question for you, Blanca. And, um, you know, I think the um, sharing of both stories is really powerful because I go back to how many survivors I've met who it's not just one experience, but it's multiple. And in the larger context, you know, I feel like um, as a community, as a society, we're still so victim blaming that we think, you know, if you can't learn the first time how not to get raped, um, you, there's something wrong with you. And I love that you have 
decided both times were not your fault. Both times I should be allowed to be drunk, be passed out, and no one should you know, take advantage of that situation. And I, I love the confidence that you're bringing um, to the table for so many who, who are still wallowing or sitting in that self-doubt. And for those who are judging the others, you know, for their double, triple, you know, however many times staying with the abuser, why, why would you let anyone keep hitting you, keep abusing you? And I think you've helped more people understand how this happens and how it's still the 100% fault of the abuser, not the victim. So thank you for, for that share and that confidence that you're bringing. I think it'll be offer a pretty good amount of relief for an, a number of survivors who will, will recognize your story. Thank you, guys. Of course, Blanca. I cannot thank you enough for sharing your, your wisdom, your strength, your honesty, uh, all that you've been through. And I also want to thank all of our listeners for supporting Blanca by listening in to our podcast. I would like to invite people to visit TakeBackTheNight.org for a list of resources and information about the Legal Support Hotline. Just like Blanca, we are never alone. There are many walking with us in healing, in supporting survivors, and in ending sexual violence. So this is Katie Kessner. And this is Claire Kaplan. Be strong, and together we will shatter the silence and end the violence.